Today, I'm talking to Tony Law, who's a Best Edinburgh Comedy Show nominee and a Chortle Award winner, amongst various other things. Um, and once again, I'm recording remotely with Tony, who's in London at the moment. How are you coping with isolation, Tony? Uh, up and down, up and down, probably like most people. Sometimes uh, it's great. I love the enforced holiday. And then, and then other times it's shit. So normal, mm. I guess. Normal. I feel like, the, like for example, I, I just don't have the vocabulary. Like if you get, say in the U.S. they have 40,000 deaths on the road every year. They could eliminate those deaths, I think, by taking the speed limit down to 20 miles an hour. They could almost get rid of it. Um, mm. But they don't. There's a trade-off. They expect 40,000 people. That'll be kids, old people. Every year are going to die, and they, they all know that, and they make their, there's a deal done. And I feel like with viruses and stuff, they're gonna have, there's going to have to be some hard thinking. It's amazing how different countries are dealing with it. Like, um, like your home country, Canada, seems to be dealing with it far better than, than the most European countries are. They sort of, you know, beat the curve a little bit, didn't they? I guess so. I haven't been paying attention out there, um, uh, much attention out there. I like how Sweden was doing it. Their numbers don't seem to be any different. I think human beings sure miss being in groups, even in small groups. I think that's the that's the thing, isn't it? Everyone's on video calls and things like that. And have you is is doing comedy over over the internet something you've considered doing? Yeah, everyone's doing all that stuff, and I, I'll do the odd thing where I'm uh, on a panel with someone, you know, and I'll, you know, it's a bit like a panel show. I'll do a bit of that, but then people talk over each other, so that's 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 a thing people need to. People aren't very good at um, listening, so that that's the only thing holding that back. But yeah, that's as far as like I don't think comedy works uh, from home unless it's like little sketches or mm. a bit of banter. But certainly, stand up is an art that just will not. Be, there's no way you can do it unless it's live so you need that I, instant feedback i guess don't you yeah and i think i think anytime you try and do that it makes you look terrible like those um those guys who do the late night shows they're all being exposed as as mediocre as everyone else is <laughs> <laughs> without their studio audience ever you know so those are that was a mistake that they've made they should have just I, I've been sort of saving my stand-up and banking on a time when people go back, get to go out again, because my num my shows are not huge anyway. So I think the first amount of people to allowed to meet up will be, you know, 150 and under sort of thing. So that suits mm. me just fine, hopefully. You got into comedy when you were in the UK, because you left Canada at just 17 um is comedy something you were doing while you were in canada at all or did it only happen when you were over here no no uh, the uh never done it in canada uh i did i used to in high school theater sports um i was i was 19 when i moved but i um no i did uh like i was always like funny with my friends but i but comedy was something that uh people from the big city did i didn't have an idea of like how you got into it then mm. I, oh then and then i, I think about night when i'd been here for a couple of years i went to my first ever gig at the comedy store 
But I didn't fall in love with stand-up from that moment. I just thought, like, the, the idea of me doing that didn't occur to me even then. And I was, I was the classic Monty Python, day-to-day, uh, mostly Monty Python, old, old Saturday Night Live, Steve Martin. Like, that, that was my thing. And then I guess yeah. uh, it took me a long time, and then I started doing it because people kept encouraging me to do it. So it wasn't something I had thought of on my own. And then mm. after en- enough people pushed, I ended up starting it. And then, then I suppose it was going to the Edinburgh Fringe when I saw... Uh, I didn't even know it existed, and then that was another thing I had to be told about. And then when I saw the Mighty Boosh, Simon Munnery, and Rich Hall, and Garth Marenghi, and all of that, and I thought, oh, okay, so it doesn't have to be. Because the stand-up, I assumed, was going to be like the stuff I used to watch on satellite sometimes in the States, which was, or in Canada, from the States, which was just a guy doing observational stuff, and it kind of... I mean, even even to some extent now, there's a, there's a voice, isn't there? That some some of them have, like the majority of them. Mm. Like uh, I, I watched uh, Olga Koch for the first time online, and she's got that. I know she's not American, but she sounds like she's American, and they, they you know, the kind of the pace of it. It's it yeah. it's it sounds very there. There's like a, a, a it's a thing of its own. It's the stand up thing. And that was the stuff that was coming out of the States. And I just thought, I'm not very good at that because anytime I've tried to write an observational stuff about a routine about something, someone else has got one better. You know, like Ed Burns way better at this than I am. Did you start out trying to do the observational stuff? Yes, exactly. So, and I just found that I was doing it, um, what I was doing was just average. Like to some... Uh, I, I don't know how to vocalize it, but it, it was just this, it was like a character that everybody did, which was a side of their self, which was kind of, kind of a bit snide and a bit, um, a little bit arrogant, uh, like, um, people who were not willing to, uh, wear their underpants outside or look ugly or look stupid, uh, that kind of stand up. So from a position of power, it's like a, it was a high status thing, and um, yeah, I could I couldn't make that work from high status because I'm naturally uh, low status, <laughs> right? Okay. Uh, or, or or at least I try and achieve my uh, higher status by. So now it took me ages, but when I finally got my voice, I realized it was someone who thinks he's high status, but is actually low status. A bit like a a Ron Burgundy buffoon, or like yeah. when Steve Steve Martin was the wild and crazy guy. All of that stuff. Th- yeah. That's where I... Yes, I needed to discover lots of people that were doing it from that perspective before I could uh, get into it. I imagine that doing comedy in the style that you do might have been pretty hard to get off the ground because you need to find your audience because it's a little bit more niche. Is that yeah. something you struggled with when you were first finding that voice? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I died on my hole for at least a decade. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Where do you find the motivation to keep going when it's like that? Um, yeah, that's interesting because it's it's almost like a, like a pig-headedness or a kind of kind of an autistic kind of like non-questioning. This is what I have to do now, and. And then you sort of get into a cycle where you now, this is what you do to, for a job, so you've got to pay the rent, so you just keep going and going, and then you try and 
try and find a way uh, when you're doing like those old jonglers clubs, try and find a way to survive. So I had to tr- keep adapting. Like I couldn't just do whimsy that worked in art centers or at hipster gigs. I had to do hardcore whimsy that could attack a beery drunk audience and get to them. <laughs> so I kind of had to make a hybrid out of it. And I was really uh, match fit during those times. But then I would still die on my hole one night. And, and yeah, no, I, it got me down. But then I had, mm. uh, I had enough gigs of smart, kind of cool people. Or no, It's not really that, because all audiences are equal intelligence. They're just presented the product differently. But if I found people presented it, uh, were presented it in a, that kind of uh, polite environment, I was able to really nail it, and I didn't have to change what I did. It's just that they let it have a chance. Um, and so still at the bear pits, uh, you know, you could, you could get through to them, and then it would work great. But if nobody was paying attention to you, there was no way to survive. Like, there was no mm. – I, I still haven't developed a plan B. But luckily, yeah. now I do more crowds where the, that I have if, – if I do a bear pit crowd, it's my own bear pit crowd. I heard you say in an interview that you think if Vic and Bob started out now, if they did an Edinburgh show, you're not sure that they would be noticed in the same way because the climate is quite different. Um, and do you think if you were starting out with your style now, do you think that would apply to you as well? Uh, possibly, yeah. It's funny how it's so ubiquitous now, stand-up, that it's, it's by its very nature, it's going to become kind of standardised. It's like that voice I was talking about. That so it's all that's always been an issue. I mean, some, but then the 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 TV industry used to be would decide. Uh, oh, we need someone a bit left field. So then they would just point their finger and choose, and then they would, you know. So so if it wasn't Vic and Bob, if they started out now, it'd be there might be one room for one of something like them, but it might not be them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But there, I mean uh, that and I, that. There's loads of people out there, just the people who love comedy that, you know, there's still loads of alternative acts out there. Just go up and do stupid shit all the time. Like Adam Larter's crew, the weirdos and and uh, various acts are all doing, you know, and, uh, and, and sometimes yeah. something will get plucked up. But I think the safe kind of standardized version will always, there'll always be more spaces for that for some mm. reason, because I don't think that's what people really want i think that's more about programmers perhaps but then i did yeah. i'm kind of out of the loop because i stopped watching uh tv i don't watch any tv comedy that's mainly because of like bitterness <laughs> and uh <laughs> just just couldn't get my head around uh yeah bitterness basically just couldn't get my head around watching things and feeling <laughs> miffed so that's so i i don't know what it's like i'm probably 10 years out of date now yeah. it's funny you say that because I remember seeing you on TV and that's that's how I found out who you are and found out about your yeah. stuff was you I, were on I had out a, of 10 cats well there, I had a, I had a moment there was a moment where uh, I was doing a lot of um, it was never mind the buzzcocks and because Noel was on there um, I managed to get on there loads of time and then that raised my profile and then I did have I got news for you a few times and then I did eight out of 10 cats. But my problem was, is that my alcoholism went out of control. And then I, I sort of blew my opportunity in a way, not in a way I did. (laughs) 
so that happened at a really inopportune time. But you've been sober since about 2015. 2015, yes. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I missed the boat. I'm no spring chicken anymore. I don't have any of the things going for me that got me there in the first place, which was no one knew me, uh, fresh, you know, blah, 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 and loads of homes for me to go on, like loads of shows. Mm. But, you know, and then and then all of a sudden the booking policies changed. Uh, well, never mind, the Bezcocks got canceled. And then uh, uh, the other shows, their booking policies became different. So have I got news for you that my, the producer who liked me was moved on. And so, yeah, I, I think with that sort of stuff, you really need to ride the, ride the whale and just take it all the way. And if you jump off the whale halfway up, you know, you've, you, you're screwed for a bit. So I'm, so now mm. I'm, but I'm, yeah, I'm lucky enough to have gained enough of a small audience that, um, you know, I can go to one town and, and think, oh, no, no one wants to see me anymore because the numbers will be low. But you'll go again the next year and they'll all go, oh, we didn't even know you were here last year. So that, that's the thing that you miss out the most is, uh, prof, uh, you know, people knowing, uh, being aware of you, you know. So yeah. if you do anything on TV, you can always fill your little rooms. And mainly with the people who like you already because you're in the front of their brain. And then you get some newcomers and... And uh, you filter them out pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's just, a, it's just a trying to kind of just doing it for fun and trying to scrape a living. And it's kind of a pure, pure way to go. I suppose everyone will feel this, though. But I felt like I was really starting to crack it. You know, it had been five years since, since I uh, got sober. And then I had about three years in the wilderness, not being very good at it. And then I got my confidence back. And I felt like I was really... I was really out riding the crest of a wave towards this Edinburgh. <laughs> oh, nice. And then this came along. But I bet every comedian feels that in some way. You know, this yeah. was the year, man. This is totally the fucking year. Fucking goddamn virus came up. Thank you, China. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was I got to blame China on my not getting my second wind yet. Speaking of that episode of 8 Out of 10 Cats, one of the questions that the, the public were asked was, what was the top piece of advice that you'd give your younger self? And mm. your answer to that was uh, straight in with, stop being such a dick. Oh, yes. And I was wondering what you meant by that. Oh, um, actually, on, in hindsight, I wasn't that much of a dick. Uh, I'm more of one now, <laughs> if I'm honest with myself. I'm very, very selfish uh, yeah, and, I, and and a thin skin, all of that stuff that I never, I try not ever admit to. I guess I meant, uh, I was probably telling myself to quit drinking <laughs> and the rest, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah, mm. just stop. Uh, yeah, because if I, you know, most people when they uh, say if you had to do it all again, what, what, what would you change? People are like, I wouldn't change a thing, man. I would. I'd change a lot. I would, I would, I would probably uh, not do any drinking, and then all the stuff that comes with it. Because I think um, I really lost some years to that, and some talent, and some opportunities. So I definitely probably, and also the fun that you had in those times. If you took alcohol out, you know, there's not, there weren't that much fun. They just felt like they were fun. But you know, it's just 
that's that's uh, classic. Yeah, do you feel like you're at a stage where you're enjoying things a lot more because you're completely sober and you're just concentrating on what you do? Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I, I feel a certain sort of bitterness to myself for wasting so many chances, you know? Like, I had some really good ops opportunities. But then on the, on, the, on the one way, I give myself a break, too, because uh, I just, I've never, never been good in... Uh, like, I love a crowd in front of me, but I don't like a crowd in a room because I get so distracted. It's such a hard way to concentrate. And so I, I, do, I do that thing where I just constantly uh, talk about myself and try and be entertained. You know, like, because I'm in such a state of uh, anxiety the whole time. I'm a terrible socializer. And then, mm. so when I drank, it made me much more kind of smooth with it. And, you know, but it, so, so... I wouldn't have been able to do any socializing at all if I didn't drink. So, but now I, I, I try and do a little bit of it, but I'm, I'm still, I'm still not so cool. Cause I, I, I still end up trying to steer the conversation towards where I think it'll be interesting. I'm not a great mm. listener I'm trying to work on all that shit. <laughs> it's such an interesting thing to hear people talk about that. My perception of you is, that you're a very confident, outgoing person on stage because you're so, there's nothing shy about the way you perform. Oh, well, that's because that's when I'm on stage, that's who I uh, want to be all the time. And mm. so I can, I can be like that. But yeah, that's my, uh, that, that's who I like being. But I think you can't be that all the time because, you know, it's, it's just that part of like listening and stuff to other people. Uh, like I've, mm. I, I get the odd friend will always say to my wife, like, God, does he ever switch off? And I kind of know what they mean. It's like, how, how deep can you have a, how far can a friendship go or whatever with someone who's always on? So I, I kind of get that. And I don't want to, I don't want to just be that, that, you know, that lonely old guy sitting in a cafe on his own. <laughs> Everything's dried up because all he did was talk about himself. <laughs> Five years clean is a, that's a long spell. It shows like, it's not, you know, do you, do you ever worry that things will take a turn for the worse? Um, actually, so far, not really, because I, I, I scared myself off it. I, I took it, I, I drove it so far into the ground that I, I almost got lucky, you know, like, because um, I've done it before where you quit and it's always there. It's always with you and you're like, oh, and the temptation's always there. And it's like, you haven't really put it to bed, but if you get if you spook yourself and just take it into a really dark place, you kind of think, "Fuck that! I am not going there." So, so it seems like it's almost easy to not worry about that aspect, you know. And you mm -hmm. just got to get on with all the the other mess that is your personality that you've not been dealing with <laughs> when you <laughs> when you've just been a two dimensional party guy. call this hidden gem and this is a chance for the guests to shine a light on anything from the world that they work in or it doesn't have to be you can go for a, a film or some music or something like that but it could be from the world of comedy something that you ah. think deserves more attention i'm into the, um at the moment um sol bello that's who i'm reading so it's not <laughs> he's dead um, but he wrote, and he was, I think he'd lived 1917 to two, 2000 or 1990. Anyway, I can't recommend him highly enough. There's so much 
uh, philosophy going on in there. I just can't get enough of it. And I'm, I like him so much that I've started reading reading really slowly because I don't want to run out of his books. So I'm reading <laughs> each page about five times. So I'm kind of accidentally memorizing uh, Humboldt's Gift. That's the book of his I'm on right now. I'm kind of memorizing oh. it by accident because I don't want it to end. It's, so uh, Saul Bellow, comedy, who have I laughed at? Phil Nickel, when he's live, is, is a hidden gem. He shouldn't be a hidden gem after all these years. Phil Nickel makes me laugh more than anyone, and usually just as in conversation with him on the phone. So that really is a hidden gem. So what I'll do is I'll do what I've done other years, is I'll tour with as the base of the last tour that I was currently on that got cancelled. So I'll do that show as a base, and then I'll add in all the new material. So I'll have two sections, and and each section will start with new stuff and then end with last year's stuff. So it'll be two 45 minutes. And those are actually, um, people who've come see me on tour always find those are the best shows because it's kind of got a, a real electric, almost improvised feel to it because uh, you're remembering things for the first time and then that inf- infuses the old stuff with life and... Yeah, it can feel like every gig is a bit special. They're really exhausting, like you're really knackered after, but it's a, such a pleasant mm. a pleasant fatigue. I love it. So in a way, I'm really looking forward to the autumn tour. It's going to be, you know, like it's going to be very hard for me to do material that's not about this, uh, the coronavirus, but, <laughs> mm. but I got to try and challenge myself to do, to do that. I think... I'm writing a lot about death because it's just all around us, isn't it? Everyone's thinking about it. So I think I think I can try and find some nifty angles on death. <laughs> well, I try and do a little bit of... Uh, I try and do two videos a day, uh, less than a minute, on Instagram, and then I share them on Facebook and... Um, Facebook and, and Twitter. And that's those three places seem to be the way I get my communication with the outside world. So I'll do a stupid video and then send it out. And then I'll read the comments and talk to everyone about it after that. So that, that seems to be my modus operandi. And I quite, so, I quite need that, actually. It gives me feedback, and I know who's out there and who wants to go to a show. And I tell people when the shows are. And yeah, so that's quite good. So, so how, yes. can we find you, how can we find you on social media? I'm Mr. Tony Law on all of them. I'm not like a genius at it, but I check all of those all the time. <laughs> you know, see what everybody's up to. Thanks a lot for talking to me, Tony. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I love talking about myself. <laughs>